Good morning, church. It is great to see all of you. I have a Roman soldier in the back waving for all the first through third graders. I think this is in preparation for our VBS, so thank you for the costume uh, there, Danielle. Maybe uh, a hint that we need VBS workers. I'm taking it. Um, so all first through third graders, you are, you are more than welcome to head to the back at this time. I trust God gave you a wonderful week and that you are ready to study God's Word this morning. I tell you what, I am fired up to study God's Word today with you all. <laughs> I am excited to go to this text of Scripture. So, I would invite you this morning, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're continuing on our journey through Romans, and today we will be back into this amazing chapter. I want to take just a couple minutes for brief, and it will be brief. Surprised my wife's not saying amen to that. She's walking in. A brief review of what we've looked at already. You can turn your hand out over and see this roadmap, this outline where we've been. As we've gone to the book of Romans, by God's grace, through His Spirit, He has revealed these truths. The overarching theme of Romans, as we find in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and really 16 through 18, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the righteousness of God. And Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed by faith to faith. So that opens up the door for a wonderful study through this wonderful book. The righteousness of God in chapters 1 through 3 highlights and is seen, it is revealed through this word, condemnation. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And because of this sin, all are subject to, Romans 1.18, the wrath of Almighty God. This, my friends, is the ugly section of Romans. We want to read quickly through it, but it's there. You do not have a gospel of Jesus Christ if you do not have Romans chapter 1 through 3. The righteousness of God that reveals condemnation. Leads us then into the next couple chapters. The righteousness of God revealed through justification. And we take this wonderful breath of fresh air as we see this declaration of righteousness for all those who come to Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, in faith alone. This is justification, leading us then to a wonderful conversation here in Romans 4 and 5, the righteousness of God, or sorry, verses uh, chapter 6 through 8, the righteousness of God revealed through sanctification. This is this growth journey. In righteousness. It is for all true believers who are progressively consecrated away from sin and towards Christ likeness. 
What a wonderful text of Scripture, Romans 6-8. through Reminding us that although we have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, this is a battle. Every day is a battle. And so we depend on God's grace. But now, with Paul, we transition into this wonderful discussion at the end of Romans 8. And we find the righteousness of God revealed through, here's the word, glorification. What a wonderful word. What a wonderful concept. One that we need to not just briefly read through, but we need to meditate on. Going through different commentaries and and, and different authors and, and theologians to see how so many of them dial in on Romans 8. I mean, thinking of Romans as kind of being this, uh, and actually some of them call this, this apex of theology through the Bible. The center of the theology in our Bible. And then they'll point to Romans 8 as being the center of the center. And then Romans 8.28 that we're looking at today is the center of the center of the center of the gospel. This is awesome! This glorification. What is this glorification? This somewhat Christianese word that we just throw out there? Well, we want to clarify what it is. On the back of your handout, you see more of a technical definition. Here it is. It is the future transformation of every redeemed or adopted child of God whose entire being will experience the promise of a resurrected body. We talked about that last week through the resurrection. But not only will you experience the promise of a resurrected body, you will also experience the complete release from sin's presence. And because of that, you and I, if we've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, if we've been justified, we will experience full participation in God's eternal glory. Okay, if we want to bring that down to very practical terms, terms that I can understand. (laughs) It's something like this. The day, this glorification is the day when we will say goodbye to sin, to sickness, to pain, and to death. Praise God. All true believers will be fully changed, not just inwardly through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the new covenant, but also outwardly. We will be given new bodies. For those of us who got out of bed this morning in pain, praise Him. For those of us who have a hard time right now seeing those texts of Scripture without squinting or putting on those extra strong bifocals, praise Jesus. All true believers will be given a new glorified body that is fully fit. Catch this. It is fully fit to enjoy the glory and the presence of a holy God. In terms of maybe some of us, this will be the eternal makeover. <laughs> or for Gen Z here, I hear this term, uh, this term thrown around my house a little bit because we have some Gen Zers in our house. I mean, this is like the eternal glow up. <laughs> if you understand that term. This will be amazing. And Paul, through Romans 8, distinguishes this very clearly. Last time we studied Romans 8, we studied about glorification's hope. 
finding present hope and future glorification. Now on that backdrop, today we will study about the guarantee that this will happen. It is not an if. You cannot bring if into the picture here in Romans 8. If that is your theology, if I can just say this, it's wrong. Because it does not fit into Romans chapter 8. And Romans 8 is God's word. This glorification is guaranteed for every true believer. In fact, so much so that if you jump over a couple chapter, uh, books, actually to Ephesians, because of this Holy Spirit that we've read about in Romans 8, this Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment guarantee that this will happen, my friends. And this morning, and probably one of arguably the most uh, quoted verse in our lifetimes, you hear people quote this whether they're giving a political speech or whether they're at the hospital or whether they're you know, at school or wherever it might be, people throw this verse out all the time, Romans 8, 28. Well, guess what? We're here. Arguably one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible, followed by two of the most ignored verses in all of the Bible. The irony of this. And guess what? Today we're going to go through all three. And we are going to dial in on this concept of glorification's guarantee. The key truth that we'll be analyzing today is this. As they persevere in hope, this comes directly from the previous section of Romans, as they persevere in hope of future glorification, this, all true believers must find confidence in the guarantee that God will accomplish His plan for His people. Let's shorten that just up a little bit, and here it is. As they anticipate glorification, all true believers must find confidence in God. Not you. We're going to find very quickly that the temptation of our own salvation is to think that we are at the center. That is not what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. And we will, we will unload that. We will, we, will, we will unpack that, I should say, over the next couple weeks. Let us see this come alive in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Again, look at your scriptures. Uh, look at your device. For those of you who maybe the English Standard Version is not your preferred text, which is fine. Uh, I preach from that. It's, it's pretty understandable. Um, but I include it on the back of your handout if that is your case. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Let's start in verse 28, and you probably all quote it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. Or, or another way of saying this, and some of your translations will say this, God is working all things for good. We'll get to that in just a minute. But then another qual uh, uh, descriptor here. For those who are called according to His Purpose. What a wonderful word. Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, brothers. Verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. 
How many of you have ever been to a, a professional event where at halftime they highlighted one of those little peewee teams? You ever been to that? Like soccer game, basketball team? So that halftime, all the professional athletes go into the locker room for their halftime and they bring in for like five, ten minutes this little peewee team that is on the floor to do their thing. You understand what I mean? Any of you seen that or am I just out? And, okay. Whew, man. All right. My imagination goes sometimes, but I think this is reality. I've seen it. All right. But maybe you watch one of these things happen. I've seen it happen a couple times. Where these little peewee guys come out there, and some of these little critters are just going through the motions. They're just playing, uh, a little intimidated by the thousands of people around the arena or the stadium around them watching. But then all of a sudden, you see one of these little guys. It is all about him. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the strutting, the showboating. I mean, we're talking about a little eight-year-old that thinks he's all that. The mouth talking, the swagger, he's got it all down. And at the end of the 10, 10 minutes, maybe he had a, a basket or two or, or had a nice pass or two, but he just like struts off like, yeah, look at all y'all around here. I'm pretty good. I mean, so if I can just bring this down to what God's doing in my heart, that is so often me in the topic of salvation. To think all of this is about me. That all of this gospel event that's happening through the book of Romans is dialed in on me. And maybe years later, mom or dad said, you know, you want to see a video of you doing that? And this kid in embarrassment, now teenager, just shakes his head and he's like, oh my soul. Not realizing that the professionals were coming out afterwards. There was a bigger event happening here. Okay, so often we are at the center of this salvation story. We think we are anyways. I mean, we go through this condemnation, this justification, this sanctification, now into this glorification, and somehow we get in our minds that, yeah, hmm, I'm pretty special. You understand where I'm at? The biblical fact is we are not at the center of the salvation story. God is. Sure, we have been brought into participation with glory, but my friends, whose glory is it? It is God's glory, not my glory. In a bit of a confession, I am astounded how easily I become the center of my own salvation, my ego, my self-importance, my amazing act to finally let God into my life. My first person center stage performance to believe when I was 10 years old. Even though you may and I may have been taught differently, maybe potentially in our Sunday school classes when we were little critters, or even adult Sunday school classes, for that matter. We are not sovereign in the gospel story. Please understand this. We do not call the shots in our salvation story. We do not and cannot demand, command, or mandate the God of all creation. We must get that into our minds. 
God is God. And He does this salvation thing like He wants to, whether I give Him the permission or not. That's the Bible. And we struggle with this, do we not? Because it makes us uncomfortable in our own worlds. But I'm going to tell you, from the beginning of all of creation, what is the struggle of Adam and Eve? You know it. We want to become the gods in our own lives. We have serious control issues in our own lives. But my friends, as Paul so clearly states in this passage, some of these concepts that are hard for us to wrap our minds around, and I understand that. A lot of these passages, we're going to fall different ways in some of the details and dynamics of these things. I understand that. In fact, we're going to do a whole Sunday in a couple weeks on that. But in all of this, we cannot fall prey to the temptation that we are the center of our gospel story. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is zeroing in on the plan and purpose of God in the story. This is, catch this, this is God's gospel driven by God's plan, consumed with God's purpose for God's glory for the good of God's people. That is the story in Romans. Because God is God and God is the center of His gospel, the guarantee is now, back to the context, that glorification will happen. Glorification will happen not because you're the center of your gospel, but because God is the center of the gospel. Again, this key truth. All true believers must find confidence in the guarantee that God will accomplish His plan for His people. We have to remember the context of who Paul is writing to. I'm not going to go deeply into this and review our introduction to Romans the last year. But writing to this group of people, both Jews and Gentiles, understandably, these Jews would tag themselves to some things that happened in the Old Testament. To talk about God Almighty, bringing them into relationship is not a foreign concept. That God is the story center. And then to see how through Old Testament history, Israel wanted to make themselves the center. We see this all the way through the Bible. In Exodus, how does Moses at Mount Sinai deal with this? He comes down after receiving God's center, God's law for his people. And what are the people doing? We're going to worship ourselves the way we want to worship. I mean, from the garden all the way through the Old Testament, we find that man meant to make themselves the center of the story. My friends, when we go through Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11, we must remember that sure, God has saved us by His grace. Sure, we're created in the image of God, but we are not the center of the story. Today we'll see this unfolded, this guarantee that this is going to happen, this glorification's guarantee. We will consider two key guarantees in this text. These three verses, two guarantees. Okay, if you want to look at it this way, these are two security pegs that you can hang your doctrine on. If you want to hang glorification on something, hang them on these two pegs. Peg number one, God's plan will always work for the good of His people. Yes! Peg number two, God's plan is complete for all his people. 
No loopholes, no missing elements. It's complete for every one of his people. Let's start with this first guarantee today. Y'all with me, by the way? Hanging in? Let's keep rolling. Verse 28, let's start with the first guarantee. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So, what is the first guarantee related to glorification? Here it is. God's plan will always work for the good of God's people. Even through pains, here's the point Paul is making, even through pains and uncertainties and trials and tribulations of a broken world, by the way, by the way these were so clearly exposed in verses 17. If you remember this, verses 18 through 27, remember this? We talked about this three weeks ago. So clearly, so much so that the world around us is groaning and inwardly we groan, even as believers. So in this broken world, so clearly we find that God is still doing a work for His people. He will work these things for good. Let's dig in. Passage says, and we know. Okay. We are intelligibly, we are illogically, we are intellectually convinced of an understandable truth from God. Not grounded in my feelings, but grounded in God's Word. And we know, Paul says, in the statements to come in the rest of Romans 8, he's constantly dialing in back to what's said already in God's Word. And we know. Now we come to the primary phrase of this verse. We know all things work together for good. What about these all things? Okay, this is all-inclusive. We're talking about every event, every happening, every occasion, every detail of life taken in the context of Romans 8, 18 through 27 that we've already looked at. Yes, this includes trials, suffering, these sufferings that bring groanings into our lives, my friends. All of these things work together for good. They labor or endeavor cooperatively. Actually, the word work together means to help. It means to assist. For clarification, it is not the things that are working. <laughs> it is, and some of your translations actually bring this out. It is God that is working through the things. I mean, because you go back through and you'll be like, that thing was not good. <laughs> that pain in my life, not good. In and of itself, that is not intrinsically good. But it is God who takes the broken things and makes them good. That is the purpose of this story. And he says all things work together for good. For the beneficial outcome, for the positive benefit. They turn to profitable something. I appreciate how... Uh, one of my favorite commentators, Tom Schreiner, analyzes this. He says, this does not say all things are intrinsically good or pleasant. Some of you would look at your week this week and be like, not good, not good, not good. But instead, that the most agonizing suffering and evils inflicted on believers will be turned to their good by God. Why? Because he is at the center of your salvation. Now we must go to the who 
and this is very important, that we understand the who of this promise and this peg of the guarantee. Uh, because I've heard this thrown out to almost anyone anywhere. You hear it on the, uh, I mean, on any given platform, you might hear, for all things work together for good through God. I want to say, whoa, 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 time out. Quote the rest of that verse, please. Okay, what's the rest of this? Who is the who of this verse? It very clearly states this. And we know that for those who love God, there's two statements in here talking about the same person. They're appositional. Those who love God. This is talking about very clearly a description of a believer. Okay, get this in our minds. It is a believer. It's pointed out by many commentators, I believe rightly so, that this is descriptive rather than conditional. In other words, Paul is describing a believer here. And consistent with the first commandment, the first description of the believer is that they truly love God. This is so good. Not love to study God things. Not love God talk or God feelings. Not to love knowing about God. Not to love a biblical worldview. As wonderful as that is. Not to wander, not to love the promise that God might give you of eternal life with Him. Not to love all of these other peripheral. The main description of a believer here by Paul is that they love God Himself. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. By the way, worth noting, who planted that love in the heart of the believer? Uh, almost every night I go into my younger daughter's rooms and we quote verses, just like I did for my older daughters when they were younger. They won't let me get out of the room with saying, what, what verse tonight, Daddy? And one of the ones the easier to learn that they, they hear of all the time, I start it and you can finish it right now. We love Him because... Praise God for that truth. The truth of the Scriptures as clearly articulated in the book of Romans. And not only for Romans. We're talking also John or Ephesians or 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3. The natural man cannot and will not truly love God without the working of the Holy Spirit to regenerate his self-consumed heart, to draw him to God and to bear the fruit of love. My friend, if we were left to our natural ways, we would love ourselves all day, every day. We are self-consumed individuals. The natural man loves one person, and that is him. But now, through the Spirit, is an indication of this gospel that does work in our hearts. Paul describes this person for whom all things work together for good, and it is the one who loves God. He becomes our primary worship, not me. Here's another descriptor, appositional to this first one. Who are those who love God? I believe it's described here next. For those who are called according to His purpose. This takes us right back to a concept we've already studied like in the first study here. Paul addresses this group in Romans. He calls them saints. And here's how he says that you are called to be saints. This is what 
theologians rightly refer to as the effectual call to salvation as Paul clearly delineates through the epistles. God is calling you to salvation. Please understand biblically, this is not merely some general invitation. You'll find that general invitation in Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14. This is not that. This is the dynamic work of God to identify His people, draw His people, and ultimately get His people for His team. I've called you to me. You say, okay, that, that kind of doesn't make me feel okay. <laughs> My friends, let us just again go back to the Old Testament. There's a guy named Abraham. Let's study about Abraham. There's other of God's people all the way through the Old Testament, and we see this kind of concept over and over and over again. Those who are called, but then we find according to His purpose, again dialing in on the fact that, Jesus, that God Almighty is the center of our salvation, not you, not me. This is according to His divine plan. This is the same word as found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Not your will and permission. Not mine. His. And my friends, I, I say this with all grace. This is God's Word. Some of us struggle with these concepts, and understandably so understandably so. But my friends, we cannot open the Word of God with whiteout in one hand and a pen in the other. What's Paul's point? Glorification is a guarantee because God Almighty is the one who has promised it. Even though true believers may be working through deep, dark pain, they must remember that God has called them and God will work all things out for their good at the right time in their life according to His plan. It might be in this life, or even as you find in Hebrews chapter 11, it might happen in the life to come. But it will all work out to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Philippians chapter 1, Paul clearly says that. He, he who has begun a good work in you, He will perform it. He will bring it to completion. That is the God that we worship on Sunday morning. That is the God that we pray to on Monday morning and we read about. That is the God who keeps us secure every moment of every day, all week long. I appreciate how Doug Moo, another commentary that I love to read, explains this. He says this, The promise to us is that there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us on our earthly pilgrimage and to bring us safely and certainly to the glorious destination of the pilgrimage. That's that journey we've been talking about. So, the first security peg to plant our theology in is this. God's plan will always work for the good of His people. Always. It's in the Bible. God's, let's look at another one. Uh, another peg. Security peg. God's plan is complete for all His people. Oh, this is a good one. So now we transfer from the most quoted verse in the Bible to sometimes the most hated two verses in the Bible. But we can't ignore them. My friends, we can't travel all the way through the book of Romans and just be like, no, we're not going to go to chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. No, we don't hold them at arm's length or we don't touch them with a 10-foot pole. 
my friends, we bring them into our lives and embrace them with all we have. Why? Because God's Word states them. God uses these as the comfort and salve for the human soul, the human who has come to Jesus Christ by saving faith. God's plan is comprehensive. So this point, God's plan is complete for all His people. In other words, God's plan is comprehensive. There's, there, there's no missing data. Some of you tried to do your taxes this week. And you got all your forms together. <laughs> well, if you're, you know, this week as in last Monday, if you delayed till then, a bit confessional for myself as well. Has that all, all my documents and my tax form, all that folder, oh, but it was missing. Something very important. My friends, there's nothing missing in your salvation. No missing data. No loopholes. There's no fine print. It involves the past, present, and future of every single one of God's adopted children. And how does Paul say this? He says this by stating it so clearly, verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In these two verses, Paul mentions five descriptions that will certainly happen for every single genuine follower of Jesus Christ, true believer. These certain descriptions are what theologians consider, and maybe you've heard this before. It is the golden chain of security in the life of every true believer. You do not have one or two of these, but not the other two. They are all intrinsically connected, invariably inseparable. They cannot stand alone, and you cannot have one of them without having all of them. That is this text. Remember the first time I really heard that sitting through a seminary class. And initially my head was cocked a little bit, and I thought, what? And then I took it and realized what Paul's saying here. This is an amazing comfort, my friends. This is not something to be shunned or to be mocked. This is not something to cause contention about. This is something to absolutely love. Sure, you don't know all the dynamics of it, but love this. What are these descriptors? Five of them. The golden chain of security in the life of believers for whom he foreknew. Hold on. Foreknew means to make a predetermined choice on the account of affection. Catch that. There's some very intentional words on that, especially the one affection. We want to kind of... This this concept has strong ties back to the Old Testament concept of God knowing those to whom He has chosen to show His covenantal love to. My friends, God more than just knows about His children. He knows His children. He intimately and affectionately knows every single one of His children. We clearly see this in Ephesians 1. We clearly see this in 1 Peter 1. This foreordained choice of affection is tagged back to when? Before the foundations of the world. 
understandably, the temptation is to water down this meaning that God is simply omniscient. But that notion clearly sidesteps the close covenantal use and concept of foreknowledge that is used throughout your entire Bible. Friends, we have to be careful not to shortchange the God of the Bible. Don't shortchange this God. Remember what we prayed just a minute ago? That we would right-size this God. This is more than just a passive omniscience of an almighty God. It is an intentional and affectionate activity of a sovereign God. Just because we will never completely figure this elective choice out, don't let anyone shortchange you by shortchanging the God of the Bible, who you worship. The sovereign God of the Bible is certainly seen in the next description of the golden chain. What is that word? Those he foreknew, and if you have any questions about that, he predestined. This means to mark out, to choose. This is a theological, biblical, and beneficial, and I want to add, I want to highlight that. This is a theological, biblical, and beneficial doctrine to the church if we take it the way it says. There's not something to hide from. I, I mean, uh, to see how this causes anxiety with believers, I understand. I've been on this same journey, and, and honestly, I haven't arrived. I don't understand all of this. But I do know the Bible says it. And I do know that God is God and I am not. And I do know that God is who He says He is, not who I want Him to be. God is God and He has the right to accomplish His sovereign plan as He sees fit. Very simply, God does not need my permission to do His salvation thing. I appreciate what another commentator... By the way, I love reading through what these guys that study... I mean, this is what they do. I go through the Scriptures. There's another one, Leon Morris. And maybe I don't agree with everything or land everywhere he does, but I love what he says here. He says, It must suffice to notice that the meaning of predestination is plain. We must not allow ourselves to be sidetracked by modern notions of what is or is not possible for God. Paul is saying that God is the author of our salvation and that, and that from beginning to end. We are not to think that God can take action only when we graciously give Him permission. Let's continue on in this text. Paul now clearly lines out the intention of this election. Here it is. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Understandably so. Some people will water down this concept of predestination by simply saying, yeah, you've been chosen uh, to live like Jesus. Well, that shows us where we're at, but then you completely ignore the other uses of this word through the Bible. What does Ephesians 1 say? No, you have been predestined to be adopted into the family of God. Sure, you have been predestined to look, I mean, I mean to look like Jesus. Yes, we all have. Anyone who's come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. But you have to understand that we have been predestined to adoption. We are chosen by God to be more and more 
uh, say it this way. We have been chosen by God to bear more and more of a resemblance of Jesus. That's this text. What is the purpose of all of this that we live for this Jesus? We bear more and more and more and more of a resemblance of our honorable and great older brother, as we saw in the previous chapter, uh, verses, Jesus. This is further conform, uh, very clearly, I would say, confirmed in the next phrase, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is to be preeminent one who is leading God's entire adopted family through sanctification all the way into glorification. He is the one we look to. Just like we looked at, look to Jesus, Hebrews chapters 11, all the way through Hebrews. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. In verse 30 we find, and I'll wrap this up because I've talked a long time today already. Verse 30 we find three more links in this golden chain. If you would look at them with me, let's look at this one. We've already looked at it, but it's in this chain of five. And those whom he predestined, he also called. He has effectually identified and drawn his adopted children. Again, this is not just an invitation. It is an intentional claiming for one's own possession. It is seeing a lineup of people that you want on your team and and not just being like, maybe you want to be on my team, you want to be on my team. It is going and getting that unlovely person who has no skill and actually a deplorable enemy of you and saying, I've got you, you're on my team. I'm claiming and I'm acquiring you for my team to bear my name. And I will empower you to be the team member you need to be. All right, we now have a very familiar fourth description of the golden chain. And those whom he called, he also, what? Yes, we love this word. He justified in his connection to the golden chain, his foreign, whom he has foreknown and predestined and called, all of these children he has declared righteous. Leading us to the final link in the chain, the focus of this portion in Romans, it is this. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the focus of this passage. So what he started, he will finish. He made them, and it's actually, I love this, it's in the past tense, even though it's a future concept. That's how certain this is. Made them to a participant of God's majesty, clothed them with God's splendor. What has Paul just done in this wonderful text? He has extolled the majesty of God who is the center of the gospel story. He's then related it directly to you and me, even in our broken world, the struggles we are going through right now. Again, I appreciate what Tom Schreiner says about this. He summarizes this passage so well. He says, believers are assured that everything works together for good because the God who set his covenantal love on them predestined them to be like his son, called them effectually to himself and justified them with certainly glori- and will certainly glorify them. All the sufferings and afflictions of the present era are not obstacles to their ultimate salvation, but the means by which the salvation will be accomplished. And I'm going to say this, the means by which that salvation will be all the more sweeter. 
you will enjoy the presence of God for all eternity, even through the pains of this life that you're going through. If you doubt that, you need to go back to Romans. We need to go back to Romans 5 and see the hope that comes through tribulations. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if I could speak plainly as we close this out. These are not biblical concepts, as I've already mentioned. All of these. These are not biblical concepts to be held at arm's distance. These are not biblical concepts to argue about as if we have some special kind of insight, the insight that no one else has had in 2,000 years. If you figure all of this out, then praise God, you are the one. Because you will not. We must trust God's word. We must see that God is God and I am not. We must see that God's who He says He is, not who I want Him to be. These are biblical concepts that we must fully embrace. Not keep it at arm's distance, but bring them in and build our, by God's grace, see the Holy Spirit of God, build our spiritual house on these concepts. Even though we do not and will not completely understand how they work exactly, again, we'll talk about this in a couple weeks. How do we interact in a body of believers who don't, I don't see all the dynamics of this happening exactly the same. How do we function? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll insert this right now. When you get to heaven someday, when you're with Jesus Christ for all eternity, he's not going to look at you and say, did you believe all of the dynamics of predestination? Did you dial in on my foreknowledge? What is he going to say? What is the accountability structure in the Bible? Did you believe in Jesus? We must hold on to that. Even though we do not and will not completely understand how they work exactly, even though there may be some disagreements about the dynamics of how all of this might work, these are the foundation stones of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this, my friend, is your guarantee that glorification will happen. Don't run from it. Embrace it. God is at the center of the gospel, and He will finish what He has started. So what? How is this going to make any difference as we walk out these doors? And we went through some good stuff today, didn't we? <laughs> is your brain full? Hopefully this got you geared up to study God's Word. Hopefully this gets you geared up to remember the whole of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who, what? Believes. What we're talking about here does not disarm the responsibility of man to believe in this God. We'll see this clearly in the next couple chapters. But we must ask this question as we close out. Through your struggles, are you finding your confidence in the God of the gospel? Let's bring it down to that. Through the struggles you're going through right now, this is the intention of this passage in this context. Through your struggles right now, sickness, death, financial struggles, emotional struggles, name them. Whatever it might be, through the struggles you're going through right now, are you finding your confidence in the God of the gospel? That you are not the center of the gospel. God is the center of the gospel. And if God is the center of the gospel, He will bring this to completion. My friend here today, 
who has not come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. I must share this. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not part of this golden chain of salvation. You cannot claim this security. You cannot truly say that all things work together out, will, will work out together for your good because I assure you, and I'm not being mean and I'm not twisting your arm, I assure you from this passage and this text, other text, chapter 1, verse 18, that they will not work together for your good. If you doubt this, I would love to sit down and show you scriptures that clearly teach you how, how you can come into this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, this love, how you can be part of this family. I'm not intending to twist anybody's arms, as I said. I'm not, I, I, honestly, three years ago, I came here and stood in this pulpit and told you, I will preach God's word. And I'm not going to white out Romans 8, 29 and 30. I'm going to teach it. And my friends, as we go there, and if you have questions and contentions about this, let's go to other passages. Let's see how this big God theology is developed. This entire passage does not resolve, and I remind you of this, this does not dissolve or resolve you, dissolve you from your biblical responsibility to respond in faith, my friend. If you have come to, if not come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, come to Jesus today. There's not this character in the Scripture that this person that really wants in, God won't let them in. That's preconceived. That's not in line with the teachings of the Scriptures. Would you come to Jesus Christ today? For my brothers and sisters in Christ, would you take this as it is meant to be taken by the Church of Rome 2,000 years ago? Church of Reading, will you take it as it was meant for the Church of Rome this week, at home, at work, at school, in your recreation, will you find confidence? Would you hold to the amazing truth that God is the center of His gospel? God is working all things for His good, or, or for the good of His people, as the text says. God is the one who guarantees that what He started he will finish. He is at the center of His gospel. And we know that for those who love God and all, uh, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So I thank you, God, for the time we could spend in Your Word today. Let us take this for its intended purpose in this text to be an overwhelming comfort to the life of a believer. Thank you for the listening ears, and I pray as we go our ways that you would continue to use these passages to encourage us and to exhort us. My friends here today, we talk about a lot of stuff, good stuff. Some of you came today, and you still have questions. Maybe you've been wrestling through this whole concept of salvation for some time. My friend, don't. Don't neglect to realize that God Almighty has drawn you to Himself. Would you believe? Would you come to Him in saving faith? I'm going to be hanging around the building for the next 
half hour, 45 minutes, hour, two hours, whatever it takes. I would love to talk with you more about this. Other elders here will be here. Other people in the, in the congregation here would love to sit down and talk with you more about this. There'll be chaplains up front in just a couple minutes that would love to talk to you more about your eternal standing before a holy God. Come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. For those of you who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, would you find the encouragement of this passage this week that what God has started in you, He will fulfill? To those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. So God, we thank You for the time we could spend in Your Word today. Thank You for how clear Your Word is. Lord, I I pray that you would give us grace to believe what the Bible says. God, I pray that you'd give us grace to also see our responsibility as believers to obey the commission of Jesus and to share this gospel to which Jesus is center with anybody and everyone all the time and any time. Let us be obedient to your word, Father. Thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. Bless us now, I pray, as we close out this service with an anthem of praise. Give us grace to sing these songs humbly and confidently based on the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Whether you're visiting or a regular attender, I just want to say it is great to have you in church today. Thank you for being here. I often say that at the beginning, but I wanted to say it as you go your way today. You're loved. I'm so thankful God brought you to worship with us this morning. I know there's probably questions that will come up or have come up. Don't miss the next couple weeks, please. As we walk through these texts, they all build on each other. They all work together for the, for the purpose of what we're talking about in these texts. Um, some of you came today ready to share of your resources. We're not going to pass any uh, offering plates this morning. There's boxes in the back or online. It would suffice as well. Uh, but you want to obey God and worship through sharing of your resources. Please don't ignore that calling from God to worship Him with your resources. But let's stand together. Let's co- close out with an anthem of praise. I'm going to say this. There are some that are here today that have gone through the valley of the shadow of death and you know who you are. It is good to see you. There's some here who have been through heavy burdens and trials. Praise God that you came to worship corporately with a body of believers here that loves you because there's a God who loves you. Let us close out and sing this song.